Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks through Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. We thank you and praise you for his faithfulness. We pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you will instruct us by Jesus, the Word incarnate, and by your Word in Scripture. Shape us, for you are conforming us to his glory. Shape us. Uh, you're conforming us to his image. Shape us for your glory. We pray this in his matchless name. And all of God's people said. Amen. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And I've got a question for you. And then I'm going to summarize what this talk will be about. Have you ever... Are you turning your Bibles? I also want to see your eyeballs. There we go. The same thing. It's just gas. Have you ever been tempted to sin? And I don't want testimonies, but have you ever been te- tempted to sin? Yes. 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 Today? Yes. What have you done about it? Don't answer that. That's what we're going to deal with today. Okay, we're going to look at Jesus' temptations and our own. All right? Uh, Jesus was tempted in all points, in every uh, respect, just like we are. Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus was tempted in all points, in every respect, just like we are, yet he was without sin. Okay? Now, <clears throat> the talk is simple tonight. We're going to look at Jesus' temptations, and we're going to look at our own temptations. But I want to remind you of something that the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth. We can find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. The Apostle Paul is referring to someone that had sinned and had been forgiven and was sent back to the church. And Paul was urging the church to receive this person. Receive him back. This person sinned. They repented. They've been forgiven. Prior to all of this, they were tempted to sin. And they've been forgiven Restore this person in your love. Receive this person in your, in your love. And Paul then makes this comment. We are not ignorant of the devil's schemes. We're not blindsided about what the devil wants to do. That's one particular area where the devil likes to scheme in the absence of forgiveness. That's just one area. So, with regard to Jesus' temptations and our own, we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. We have it right here in Scripture. So, we're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 4. What I'd like to do is to read the first 11 verses, and I'd like you to follow along, and then we're going to be looking at these verses in some uh, brief detail in a little bit. Then, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the diabolos, by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to Jesus, he said, If you are the Son of God, since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If, since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, because this too is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is in writing. It is written again. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. So again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. 
And the devil said to Jesus, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. Behold, take a look. Angels came and ministered to Jesus. Our passage contains the most famous temptations in all of history. Temptations from the devil, the tempter himself. Now, many of us are tempted just by what James says, our own lurking lusts. They're just bubbling up, percolating down. Our eyeballs are active. And we've been in places we shouldn't be. We've been listening, looking, lurking. A lot of times that's just it. We're tempted when our own lusts get the bubbling. That's enough. Then all of a sudden we're following him. These are temptations that the devil himself brought to Jesus. I wonder which would be tougher. Well, we're going to look at these. So, the most famous temptations in history. But before we do that, I would like to do something with you. I enjoy doing this and I'd like you to join me in this. What I'd like us to do is to learn a little bit about the Bible so that we can live by the Bible. Let's learn a little bit about the Bible so that we can live by the Bible. You're in Matthew chapter 4. I'd like you to turn back to Matthew chapter 1. And I'd like to give you a quick run through as to where we are up to this point. And I want you to be remembering your Bibles being held with both hands. Bibles being held with both hands. The book of Matthew begins where the Hebrew Bible begins. Matthew chapter 1 begins where the Hebrew Bible begins, and Matthew chapter 1 ends where the Hebrew Bible ends. So the very beginning of the New Testament, as we call it, the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew is the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, in a package. Matter of fact, the very first words, if you take a look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, are these in Greek. Biblos Geneseos. Book of Genesis. Oh, that reminds us of the very beginning of the Old Testament. It's a book of Genesis. So we have this book of beginnings. It's a new Genesis. And I mentioned to you that Matthew chapter 1 ends where the Hebrew Bible ends. Does anybody in here know where the Hebrew Bible ends? With what book of the Bible, the Hebrew Bible ends? Chronicles. That's right. What we would call Second Chronicles, which is really one book because First and Second Chronicles are one book. So, with Chronicles. And that means the Hebrew Bible ends with God's people being sent off to exile. Babylonian exile. So Matthew chapter 1 begins with Biblos Geneseos, the book of Genesis. And the Hebrew Old Testament ends with God's people being in exile, needing a deliverer, needing a new Joshua, a new Yeshua. And so therefore it's no surprise that in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 we have a new Joshua, a new Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. So the book of Genesis and, the, and Matthew chapter 1 really pretty much parallel. Okay, so the people are in exile. What they need is to be returned from exile. They need to leave exile and they need, in a sense, they need an exodus. So what would you expect when we turn from Matthew chapter 1 to Matthew chapter 2? You'd expect an exodus. So that's what happens when we turn to Matthew chapter 2. We have an exodus. We have a new pharaoh... And this new Pharaoh has a name, it's Herod now. And this new Pharaoh, this Herod Pharaoh, is still targeting little boys. 
Jesus is born, and therefore Jesus, the little boy, is targeted. So what does Jesus and his family, Joseph and Mary, do? They actually leave Israel. They have an exodus out of Israel. Where do they go? They go to Egypt. Things have become so bad in Israel that they have become a new Egypt. There's a new pharaoh in town. His name is Herod, and he's killing little boys. And so they leave Israel, and that's a statement of how bad things have become in Israel. Well, keep walking. You know your Bible. So we've gone from Genesis and to Exodus. And we know the people of God are then, after we go through the book of Exodus, how, how does deliverance actually occur in the book of Exodus? That's right, there's a Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's hatred is at work and boiling, and the people of God are being delivered from Pharaoh, and they come to water. They come to water. So when we get to Matthew chapter 3, we should expect to see water. So look at Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he is baptizing. He comes to water. But something else. When we read the Gospels, we find that John is doing something with his baptizing. He's not just baptizing at the Jordan. He's baptizing on the other side of the Jordan. So if you've got Israel here, here, John goes to the... And this is the Jordan River. John goes to the other side of the Jordan River to baptize. This is where he's preaching and baptizing. He's basically on the Egyptian side of the Jordan River. He's telling people, you need a new start. You actually, in a sense, you all need an exodus. You need to come back as if you've gone to Egypt and you need to start over. So we've got this new beginning. Hmm. That's interesting. We've got an exodus because there's a new pharaoh in town. And we've got a water crossing of a sort. What happens on the other side of the Red Sea? They enter the wilderness. So when we're reading along, we've gone from Matthew chapter 1 New Genesis, Matthew chapter 2 and Exodus, Matthew chapter 3, water with the word. That's good. Right after that deliverance through the water, the people of God enter the wilderness. We shouldn't be surprised then that when we flip our Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 4, we find the wilderness. So here we are. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. The book of Matthew is pretty much taking all of that happened and saying it's found in Jesus Christ and he's going to stand in the place of his people. He's going to stand in your place. So, you've faced temptations before and you have failed. Jesus will face temptations and will not fail. We've got a new Genesis. We've got a true Joshua, a true deliverer. We've got a victorious one and he's actually going to go into the wilderness and he's going to face the devil during temptations. Now, this is very interesting. By the way, uh, oftentimes our doctrine of the Holy Spirit does not include Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and Jesus was led up by the Spirit. What is the Spirit? What's the work of the Spirit? With regard to Jesus, then, is to lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It wasn't just some accident. It wasn't just, oh, well, here I am in the wilderness. I wonder what's going to happen now. No, the Spirit of God led Jesus to the wilderness for this very purpose. Hmm. All right. There's a lot we could say about the temptations in the garden and the temptations here in the Gospels, but we're not going to do that. 
What I'd like to do is kind of expedite this chat tonight. And I'd like to, for us to look at Jesus' temptations. And I'd like you to look at your own. Alright? Matthew chapter 4. We already read it. We're going to take a closer look. The devil's temptations are going to do this. They're going to take Jesus from the lower to the higher. The devil's temptations are going to start on the floor of the wilderness, lift Jesus up to the pinnacle of some temple, and then end on some very high visionary mountain somewhere. This is the devil's way of exalting Jesus. A false way of exalting Jesus. Okay? That's what we're going to see. They're going to go from lower to higher. That's what the devil's going to do. I wonder what the Spirit of God's going to do. Hmm? What the Spirit of God's going to do with you, with your temptations? I, I tip my hand, I'm sorry. Next, I want to tell you something about these temptations. Here they are in some. These three temptations in the Gospel of Matthew are temptations that will hit Jesus at a place of weakness, at a place of strength, and at his very identity or vocation. Let's take a look at it. The first temptation is an attack at a place of weakness. Jesus is truly hungry. Verse 2. Somebody please read verse 2. Somebody with a loud voice. Strong voice. Who's got it? Come on. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... He was hungry. Afterwards, he was hungry. Alright? After 40 days. After 40 nights. He was then hungry. Our scene goes, enter the tempter. Okay? So after that time of fasting, he was hungry. After that time of fasting, enter the tempter. Okay. What could this temptation sound like? You know what? It's got some elements of truth to it. You are hungry. By the way, I speak to some of the men in our congregation, some of the young men. I speak to some of the young men and young women here. How many times have you done something foolish or sinful because you've been hungry? The temptation goes on. You, you, you truly are hungry. Why don't you do something about it? As a matter of fact, the tempter would continue. You can. You can do it. You can do something astonishing. The reality is, you right now, in this wilderness, you need something astonishing. Something more than what you already have. <laughs> You're surrounded by all these stones. Look at your situation in your life. Temptations enter when you're looking around going, <laughs> look, at, look at all these stones. They kind of look like loaves of bread, don't they? Go ahead and eat. As God said, this is 40 days after Jesus' baptism when Jesus heard the voice of His Father. The voice of the Father said, This is My beloved Son. This is the Son of My love. Love? Son? Child? Where's your Father? You can almost hear the temptation. Aren't you going to be the one, if you're the Son of God, that's going to teach someday which one of you, if his son asks you for bread, will give him a stone? What has your father done for you? Kind of look like loaves of bread, don't they? What have you been given lately? 
the forked tongue splitter devil is at work attempting to separate Jesus from his father. And this starts soon after baptism. Meet a new convert, there's fire, and there's an ebb. Remember your days. What's going to happen here? Oh yeah, that's what I need to do. I'm like a, a natural person looking at my face in a mirror and I know exactly the contours of my face and, and then I'm going to walk away and I'm going to forget, forget. Forty days after his baptism. Surely there's something more. There's got to be more than God's voice. Which, by the way, can you even hear it now? It's forty days. I can't hear it. This temptation at this place of weakness is this. The Father and His voice is not enough. You need more. And you've all been there. So Jesus answers with Scripture. It's in writing. Asking about God's voice? Asking about stones and bread? and It is in writing. God has spoken. While we do live by bread... We need bread to live. We do not live only by bread. We live by the very Word of God, the very Word that said, I am God's beloved Son. There's the answer. Temptation at your place of weakness. What has God said about you? That was the temptation at the place of weakness. The second temptation is found at the place of strength. Verse 5. The devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Good city, temple, pinnacle. Yes. The devil now goes up a bit higher. No. From the floor of the wilderness. Let's go to the top of the temple up here. Jesus dealt with the first temptation with Scripture. And all of you are sitting there going, yep, that's what I need to do. I've heard this great teaching so far. This... This gathering of glorious saints, and I need to be a man or a woman of the Word. Jesus answered with Scripture. Jesus dealt with the first temptation with Scripture. And you know what the devil basically is saying now, in effect? Oh, okay. You want to go there? Good, let's do that. Let's go there. Go to Scripture? Let's go to Scripture. Here, again, we learn a little bit, quite a bit, about the devil's strategies. We're not ignorant of his schemes. We learn something about the devil's strategy of the order and the sequence of temptations. The first is to target you at your weak point. The next is to use your strengths against you. To use our strengths against us. To use our momentum to promote our falling. One writer called this a kind of spiritual jujitsu. Oh, you're good here? You know the scripture? Okay. Some of you, by the way, have been tempted there. We don't expect this, by the way. We don't expect to be tempted at the places of our strengths because our strengths are our strengths. Who's going to mess with me there? We don't expect to be taken down at the place of our strengths. Uh, let me remind you of Simon Peter's failing and falling. I'll, I'll die for you. Jesus answered the first temptation with Scripture. That's where he is strong. So the devil goes from the scriptural takedown 
Of course, the devil says it's a perverse use of scripture. Okay, okay. The heavens spoke about you being the beloved son. The heavens spoke about you belonging to the Lord. Yet there's no bread. I'm wondering about something else. I'm wondering if there's any protection for you. You're doing well now. You're strong now. I've got to, I'm wondering. We're way up here. I'd like you to throw yourself down. You and I both know what the Scriptures say. The devil knows the Scriptures and cites Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands, they're going to bear you up. You won't even stub your toe against a stone. We know the Scriptures. The devil here is simply calling upon Jesus to, to prove your trust in the Father. Show some deeds. Show it. Act it out. Before you go out to preach, it's very important. Demonstrate something. Go for it. And by the way, if you step off this pinnacle... Here's the good news. There's no glory in it for you. You're just stepping off. There's no glory for you at all. All the Father's glory, the Heaven's Speaker. He'll get the glory and He will confirm His love for you in this. And furthermore, that's not all. This will be spectacular. You're strong. He's something spectacular. So you say you trust God with everything? I've got one for you. How about you trust God with nothing? Trust God with no handrails. No path. No steps. No escalator. No elevator. Trust Him with nothing. See how strong you are. Jesus responds with Scripture again. We might just give up. (coughs) Quit. Cave in. Jesus cites another passage from Deuteronomy basically saying, stop testing the Lord. You know, Scripture pulls it right out again. What, you know what? We will present Scripture when we're facing temptation and then we'll, we, we may win that one. Then we face another temptation and we're going to... Well, why is the temptation still coming out? Should I just go back with Scripture again? Yeah, look what our Lord does. Yes. By the way, that quotation from Psalm 91, note the perversion of the devil's quotation here. Psalm 91 expects God's protecting love. I expect God's protecting love for each one of us. However, Psalm 91 does not press God's protecting love upon my foolishness. The real question is this do we follow God or must God follow us? You're misusing Scripture. Here's another way to phrase it. Will God be obeyed or commanded in my use of Scripture? The devil wants the Scriptures to be used so as to command God. The Scriptures are given to us for us to obey God. Huh. Third temptation. We're just dealing with Jesus' temptations here. Third temptation. Look at verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. We don't this is some visionary mountain. We don't know where this is. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you'll just do this. Fall down and worship me. You know what? I have brought you up from the base of the wilderness up to the temple, now way up high on this mountain. And all you have to do is just lower yourself just a little bit and worship me. 
a little bit of a twisting of Lewis's further up and further in. What does the devil do? Leads Jesus up from the rocks to the temple to the mountain. What's the Holy Spirit do? In temptation. Remember, the Spirit of God brought Jesus to temptation. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus down. Down to the Jordan, down to John, down to water, out to the wilderness. The devil. We're after the great. We're after the spectacle, the wonder, the fascination. The Holy Spirit. We're going to go low. We're going to go ordinary. We're going to go earthy. We're going to go every day. The devil. I want to exalt you. I want you to get the glory. I want you to go to the heights. And the Holy Spirit is pointing Jesus to the cross and to suffering to go to the depths. Now this third temptation. Temptation at the place of weakness. Temptation at the place of strength. Now this temptation is the place of identity. Who are you? Who, who are you? Who are you? Your vocation. You're about this is the middle. This is the center. This is the heart. This is the heartbeat. What's your mission? What are you doing here? Oh, it's about your love for others, your love for the world? Let me remind you of Moses. Moses failed. Didn't he? I don't want you to be like Moses. At the end of Moses' life, it's as if the devil could be pointing back to Scripture. At the end of Moses' life, at the end of Deuteronomy, which you've been quoting, Moses was brought way up on top of that mountain. That's right. Take a look, Moses. Look at the land. Look at the kingdoms. You're up here on Mount Nebo. You're way up on this mountain. All of these will be yours. But they weren't given to Moses. I'll give them to you. Just fulfill what why are you here? You're here to give up yourself, right? You're here to sacrifice yourself. Your greatest desire is to obey the Father's will and save people from every part of the planet, right? You want every nation, right? Your plan is global, right? You want all the peoples of the world, right? Every kingdom, right? Just bow down in their ears. No more opposition from me. No need to go the way of the cross. What I'm offering you fits in with your desires, doesn't it? We don't need to deal with weakness anymore. We don't need to deal with strength. We're going to deal with identity. Identity politics here. Identity theology here. Who are you? Jesus' temptations right there. The book of Hebrews says Jesus was tempted in every respect just like we are. And we don't need to get into some kind of silly talk about was Jesus specifically tempted in the way that I've been tempted with regard no. Every aspect, every sphere, every respect of your temptations. For example, at your place of weakness, at your place of strength, and with who you are. So now let's very briefly take a look at you dealing with temptation. A series of questions for you. But here we go. I'd like you to recognize the strategy of our ancient foe. Jesus was truly hungry. Place of weakness. Jesus handled the scriptures well. Place of strength. So this is what you're all about. This is your identity. This is your vocation. In that order. So weakness. Here we go. 
Where are you weak? These are the evident weaknesses. Expect attack. When are you weak? How are you weak? James 4.17 is still in the Bible. To him who knows the right thing to do and does it not, to him it is sin. Talking to Pastor Booth the other day, we, we, we could just have an entire Gloria Sancta, we could have a summer sanctus just on that verse alone. Day after day after day. To the one who knows the right thing to do, okay, I, I know that, and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Where are you weak? When are you weak? How are you weak? I mentioned hunger earlier. How many times have I met somebody, you know what, I was on my way home, I was hungry, I stopped, did something stupid. Hmm. Did you know that you? What did you do? Hunger is a form of being deprived. How many times do I hear people today go, you know, I feel like I'm deprived of something. I don't think I'm getting what I think I... I'm not getting what I think I should be getting. The first temptation was designed to get Jesus to expect something more from the Lord other than His Word at baptism. It's not enough for me. I need something more. I'm kind of hungry for something more. Maybe what the Lord has provided for you is, is insufficient. It's lacking. It's weak. It's paltry. Yes. Church. Jesus had been baptized. Jesus had heard the voice from heaven declaring His Sonship. You're in the family. Then the temptations happen. Much the same happens to us. Either when we're truly weak or with the suggestion that we are weak when we're not. Strength. Were you strong? Where do you think you're strong? Get ready. The one who thinks he stands better watch out. Better take heed. Better beware. Better wake up and smell the coffee. You get ready to fall. When are you strong? I got this. I got this. I'm done. Fine. I can handle this. I can spend a little bit more time with her. I can spend a little bit more time looking at that. I can spend a little bit more time. I'll get around to it eventually. I got this. Your vocation. Your identity. A lot of people blur that. It's your calling. You, what are you doing right now? Any of you are looking ahead. I'm going to be doing this is what I hope to be doing. You will form a, a type of identity in that. Identity is a big deal these days. Everyone's talking about identity. And in fact, I think this next summer, Sanctus, this next summer, we're going to be it's going to be called uh, you know our identity in Christ. Or just maybe we'll just generalize it. Our identity. So people go. Huh? Everyone's talking about identity. I will self-identify as this. I'm going to identify in this way. 
want to use that bathroom. Identity, that's up to you, isn't it? What are you all about? Who do you think you are? Note how many times in your life you have been, you have faced temptation in one of these three areas. One of these three areas. So what do we do about it? In conclusion, I've got a few points for you. A few tips, and of course these pastors will help with this as well. This is going to take exercise. You're going to need to enter the gymnasium of godliness. Okay? First of all, no scripture, no victory. If you are not in the scriptures, do not expect the scriptures to be in you. But we learn from our Lord's handling of temptation. If you are not in the scriptures, don't expect the scriptures to be in you. I have the privilege of working with a number of men in prison. One of the things these men in prison regularly speak of is time. Time served, time till they get out, time as to whether or not they will ever get out. And I have started to use a new approach with some of these men. And I have been reminding them, where they're always talking about time, that they have as much time as we do in the free world, or free worlders. Question is, how do we use our time? Young men, young ladies, young men, what kind of men are you going to be for your future wives? Can we be men of the word? Ladies, part of your husband going to trust in you? Why? Because you're so beautiful? Because you're a woman of the word. No scripture, no victory. Number two, resist. Really? I can resist? Yes. Really? I just thought I had to flop over. No. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist. Literally means stand against. Antihistamine. Stand against. I'm going to stand in an antithesis. I'm going to stand opposed. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you're in the Scriptures and the Scriptures are in you, you're going to know this. Resist the devil. Well, I love the way G.K. Chesterton <laughs> said this. He says, a dead thing can go with the stream. But only a living thing can go against it. You see some piece of dead driftwood, stream going... Look at that dead piece of wood. But if you see some creature swimming against the stream, you, there's life. Look, it's alive. So oftentimes we're just we're 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 flat, we're landed, I can't you're floating along. Resist. Resistance reveals that the battle is real, as Pastor Sexton was just speaking about. Fighting. By the way, note here's code word. You meet somebody, how you doing in Christian life? How are you doing? I say, you know what, I've recently been struggling with X, Y, or Z. Struggling with quote unquote, struggling with, not the air quotes, is usually code words for giving in to. I was struggling. The war going on. So, no scripture, no victory. Number two, I said, resist. Number three, related to this, persist. You know, you, you feel like you can resist for a while, 
Ah, I'm pushed, pushed. I'm going to resist. I'm tired. What did Jesus do? He kept going with Scripture. Kept going with Scripture. You're going to find times in the reading of Scripture you're going to go... Uh. <coughs> Need water. There's no water. <coughs> Years ago, I used to... Our family used to live in Arizona, and we were about five and a half, six hours away from San Diego. We loved to go to San Diego. We loved visiting San Diego. And uh, to get to San Diego, you'd go from this this frying pan of the southwestern desert through more desert and just amazing broiling stuff. And then you'd start coming up over these hills and come down toward the coast and nice and cool, wonderful, and overly priced property. Very expensive, but it was beautiful. Anyway, um, that, that was an analogy for Bible reading. A lot of times people get into the Bible and they, they don't persist because they don't realize that some, you have to work through the Scriptures. And there are things that you will not understand right now that as you're working through, all of a sudden the light comes on. And then you'll learn to appreciate that desert. You'll learn to appreciate the, eight, uh, the, the uh, 88th Psalm, 89th Psalm, I can't remember right now. The psalmist cries out repeatedly to the Lord and the Lord never answers. What's that doing in the Bible? It is... Um, Psalm 88. Four different Hebrew words are used for crying out to the Lord. I cried out. I hollered out. I screamed... No answer. Why is that in there? Well, it's teaching us to go through that desert time. Persist. Persist. Matthew Henry said it this way, if the devil fail in one assault, he tries another. He's more persistent than we are. We should respond in the same way. By the way, another form of persistence is this. Remember, the devil is always after your exaltation. I'll lift you up, lift you up, and the Spirit of God is humbling you. Here's another wonderful form of, of, of Scripture in resisting and persisting. Daily faithfulness. It's what Kevin DeYoung one time called the glory of plotting. P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G. Not plotting, but plotting. the devil's temptations were to get you away from the ordinary the everyday the commonplace and the consistent again G.K. Chesterton he said the most extraordinary thing in the world is an ordinary man and an ordinary woman and their ordinary children when my son-in-law was uh, ruling my daughter. One of the things that I talked to them about was pursue the normal. Pursue the ordinary. There's times when you're all heated up and all fluttery and fiery. Fire's good. Want to see the fireplace? He said, he said, because that's what the majority of your life is going to be. Last. Okay? Last. These are just some little tips. Some little pastoral tips. 
very last thing I'm going to do. I'm going to mention this very briefly and I'm going to end. Consider your help. Consider your telos. Where are you going? Where are you, what, what's your telos, your end, your goal, your aim? Where are you going? I'm going to the kitchen. Where are you going in life? Now, this last Lord's Day, I, I, I preached on Anna, uh, age and attention. Elderly woman in the scriptures. She was a woman of worship. She was a woman of the word. And therefore, she was a woman of maturity. Ladies, you want to be like Anna? Be a woman of worship. Be a woman of the word. How do you get that? Daily persistence. Daily faith. Where are you going? Young men. Young ladies. Dealing with pornography. Or pick the sin. Pick the temptation. Pick it. Consider your telos. Here's one of the things you can do. If the Lord blesses you to be a married man or a married woman, and God blesses you with a child like you, many children like you, and you happen to be of a certain age, and one of those children happens to be the age where you are now, how will you speak to that child, to your child, about this particular sin or that particular sin? How did you handle it? How did you exercise yourself in the gymnasium of godliness right now so that you'll be able to say, Son, yeah, let's talk about that. I, I, I want to talk to you about that. I remember those wars. And I remember the, the various angles in the schemes. We're not ignorant of his schemes, nor are we ignorant of our own schemings. Because sometimes we'll go, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. What kind of a man or a woman are you going to be? And what are you going to have to say to your son or your daughter with the way that you dealt with that particular sin? You're being trained right now. Jesus' temptations. His, and we learn about ours. And the Lord bless us, and may he favor us with the guidance of his spirit to his favor.